Have you hit a sticking point in the upward growth of your self-publishing business? Would you like to know the secret to scaling a successful self-publishing business? Then you'll definitely want to check out what my special guest, Ava Fails, has to say in today's interview. Welcome to Self-Publishing with Dale, and if you want to master DIY publishing, then make sure you subscribe and turn on your notifications for all my latest videos. Are you thinking about scaling your self-publishing business or are you looking into hiring a virtual assistant to help you with your daily tasks? I'd love to hear from you, so drop me a comment or two. Earlier this year, good friend and fellow self-publisher Mary Thibodeau and I were having a conversation about our respective businesses. I had griped about how much my workload had gotten out of hand. Mary recommended I hire a virtual assistant to help me with a few simple tasks or skills outside my wheelhouse. The truth is, I'd hired virtual assistants before and was always underwhelmed with the results. However, Mary suggested I consider talking to a mutual friend, Ava Fails, about helping with various administrative tasks such as website SEO, email marketing, and landing page building, and so on. I dropped Ava a line and gave her a try and was not disappointed at all. In fact, I'd found she'd exceeded every imaginable expectation I had of the prototypical virtual assistant. Ava is efficient, pumps out high quality work, and helps bring new ideas to my business that brings it to new heights. Rather than go any further about her, let's get to the interview. Welcoming to Self-Publishing with Dale today, I am very pleased to introduce to you my guest and also somebody I consider pretty close to me at this point, Ava Fails. What's happening, Ava? Not a lot. Doing an interview with Dale. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're looking all good. Actually, you know, it's so funny. Uh, I think it was not too long ago that I hit you up. And you wouldn't turn on the video camera. I was like, what gives? And you were like, I'm in my pajamas. <laughs> I, keep a, I keep a sticker over my webcam. Nice. There we go. <laughs> there, there's a little hack for all of us here. You know, keep the sticker available so you can just stick it right over top of your video camera and people aren't eyeballing you in your pajamas. Isn't that nice about being an online yes. entrepreneur that you can literally just do work in your pajamas? Yes. Yes, I love it. Like, so, uh, you know, I got a question for you, and yeah. uh, feel free to bloviate. Give us a little bit about your background, who you are, what you've done, and what it is that you're doing today as an entrepreneur. Okay, um, I'm Ava. Uh, my background is actually graphic design. That's what I went to college for, but, like, I don't really sell it as a service. I'm not that great at it. I'm like, I'm okay, but I'm, I'm better at pencil to paper art rather than digital art. Okay. So, um, goodness, that was probably around 2006. I started, um, writing online. I thought, well, you know, I've written, uh, papers for school and stuff. I can do this. So I found a couple of clients through, uh, digital point forums, which is an internet marketing forum. And I did some work that way, and that's how I kind of broke into writing uh, on the web. I've written for Demand Studios, which is Demand Media, I think, now. I've written for various clients. Obviously, I write my own books. Um, so that's how I got into the whole writing thing. Nice. And so, uh, question for you. Uh, you've got a little bit of experience in self-publishing. Uh, how many books have you produced and what kind of success have you had from them? I think I've got 
13 or 14. I had one that got uh, taken down, so I, I messed up on my count. It's like 13 or 14 books. And uh, I started, I just Googled my way through it in like 2011. I, I had an alarm job on third shift. It was really quiet, small company. And so I wrote my first book at work on third shift with the hokey uh, you know, hotspot connection and Googled my way through how to get it on Kindle. And there was like some HTML involved and it was just crazy back then. It wasn't anything like it is now, like where you just upload a Word file and basically you're done. Back then you had the, the their, their little upload situation was just, it really chewed your book up. So I ended up formatting that whole first book in HTML just so it didn't look like crap when it came out the other end. So uh, that's how I got into it. And then I think I didn't publish my second book actually until 2015. And this was after I found Jason Brock and started watching his videos. And he was talking about, yeah, like I'm making 10 grand a month doing this. And I'm like, well, I can do this. I did it that one time. I can do this. You know, yeah. so that's when I kind of, you know, started churning out books. And I started out with, um, uh, my own stuff and it did okay and you know it was all right and then um came across this dude that was talking about cookbooks so i could give two craps about cooking i really just thought it's not my thing but i was like yeah. well shoot i can you know throw some recipes in a book and i made like this little book it was like 25 recipes low carb and the thing went nuts on amazon i was like i have found my bread and butter i'm gonna be the next jason brock <laughs> so, of course you know immediately I started writing my next cookbook and this one it was uh I was doing low carb at the time so I was kind of stuck on that so I did like a low carb uh loaves and breads I think the name of it was yeah. and um obviously I didn't use my own recipes recipes are are kind of in a gray area in the whole copyright thing you can't copyright a list of facts blah 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 and all this and I didn't by any means copy and paste my information. If there was a variation to the recipe, I chose one or the other. I went in and I wrote the description myself. I changed the name of the recipe. Well, apparently I got a hold of some hoity-toity, low-carb bread ladies thing off her blog post and her minion of some sort found it. And that's how my book got taken down. So that's when I was like, you know, I'm, I'm going to write my own stuff. And I'm just, forget cookbooks, I'm not into it anyway. So what if I could make a million dollars doing it? Um, I'm just going to do me. So that was basically the end of that. Um, right now, my best sellers are actually a couple of conspiracy theory books. I'm not kind of like mm. conspiracy theories. I wouldn't call myself a conspiracy theorist, but I just like reading about that stuff. Okay. And so what I did was I, I created a series called um, Conspiracy Fact Declassified. And what I did was went in and found, um, you know, things that were kind of big in the conspiracy community, but have been proven to, to be a fact through declassified documents. And I wrote a couple books on a couple topics about that. And those books actually do pretty well. They bring in um, uh, money to me consistently on a monthly basis. Nice, nice. So it still it still is paying you off. Which how how long ago was this? Was this back in? 2015? I published those in twenty fifteen. Yeah, and it's still pulling uh, a good yes. luck. Now, a question for you: How 
how many avenues do you utilize in this one particular content? Or is it just strictly ebook or do you go out any further? Uh, it's pretty much ebook, but mm -hmm. it's, it's Amazon, CreateSpace, um, okay. Craft Digital, and then also Google Play Books, which I got in under the, you know, before they locked that down. So I actually have a publishing account there. So I have my books there as well. And also, the, just those two books I have on um, ACX. Oh, nice. Tremendous. So you, you've definitely utilized just about every avenue yeah. that you can with those things. That's, that's awesome. So you're able to just kind of set and forget. Do you do anything to kind of, you know, keep it to where they continue to make money? Or is it just literally you've sat and for, forgot about it? For the most part, they've been set and forget really because I suck at book marketing or really marketing anything. Um, so, uh, wait, 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 hang on though. You're marketing my stuff. Don't say that. <laughs> right. Well, I'm, I'm talking, look, I'm talking strictly about my things. Like, I have problems. I can sell somebody else all day long with the studio. Oh, okay. Um, you know, that kind of thing. But when it comes to myself, I mean, yeah. that's where I run into issues. So, um, what do you think's the the biggest hang-up for you? Is it that you don't want to bother with it, or is it kind of a confidence issue? Uh, I think it might. Yeah, I think it's probably a confidence issue, or mm -hmm. just really, you know, it's easier to say, um, "Look at this great lid I have here, and I, it works really well. It goes on my drink. It's awesome." Because I didn't make it. Oh. You see what I'm saying? I feel, I think I have like this barrier where I feel like um, if it's something that I actually made, all I'm doing is trying to sell somebody something. Does that make sense? That, that does make sense. So let me, let me go down this path a little bit. I'm going to take you down. I'm going to take you down this path. Here we go. So something that has been a very big hot topic over on my YouTube channel has been about hiring freelance writers to do ghostwriting services. What if somebody ghostwrites something for you? Do you have more confidence in marketing and promoting that then? Uh, I don't know because I, I haven't had that done. Like I write all my own stuff. So I, don't, I think I would probably feel more displaced from that though. I'd be like, well, if this sucks, I didn't write it anyway. So <laughs> <laughs> I gotcha. I gotcha. You know? So uh, do you ever, um, for instance, let's, so we kind of know you don't even do any of the ghostwriting or you don't have ghostwriting done in for you because you love to do writing. It's, it's right. cool by your writing content. Um, and we'll you know, a, a better return on investment that way. I mean, I, of course I invest a lot of time, um, but I'm not investing, you know, a ton of money into having somebody else write for me you, you know i publish my book and pretty much any money that it makes is that's all me so yeah that's that's so true when you can be able to keep the writing in-house it does cut down on costs uh there's something to be said about that and i think that is one of the reasons why i mean i tested out ghostwriting and hiring that out to that but ultimately at the end of the day i felt like i was just herding kittens you know i just it just you're constantly having to micromanage you know, well, this needs better editing. No, this is not quite what I was looking for. We need you to fine tune this. Can you build on this? And then right. I got to check everything and make sure it, it just was too much hassle. So my question to you when it comes to reviews, don't, don't be afraid. Be honest on this one because here, yeah. I'll share first how to handle bad reviews on your content. I'll tell you, when I originally got bad reviews on my content, it 
hurt. I mean, it literally, it would take the wind out of my sail the rest of the day. Kelly can be able to tell you that I was just a dick for the rest of the day. <laughs> moping around the house because I got a one-star review where someone was just like, oh my gosh, I've had a better time getting a, you know, sulfuric acid enema. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I, not not that anybody ever said that. Although that would be really awesome, and I'd have to share that. But yeah, sure. me. nowadays, I almost I I embrace it. I look forward to seeing some of the low star reviews because I think that in order to make a better product, I need to have those bad reviews. How do you handle bad reviews? Um, I I put out this short story, just kind of sticking my toe in the water, testing the water. I'm I'm mainly a nonfiction writer, but I do have a couple fiction works out there. And uh, I had so I had this short story. It was really a first time, like I really just kind of put my heart and soul into something. Yeah. And uh, I put it out cheap. I mean, it's like I can't even. It's a really short book. I can't even remember how many pages it is, but it's pretty short. And um, this guy, I can't remember his name, but he had come out. He had written this glowing review and how wonderful it was. And I don't know if you've had the experience of Amazon taking down reviews because they think you know the person or you bought it or whatever. Yeah. Yep. And so his, his nice five-star review, never heard of the dude in my life, wanted to reach out and give him a hug. They took it down. And then some lady um, came and gave me a one-star review and it was one word and it said boring. Oh. And I, was like, real, I emailed Amazon. I was like, can you take this off? Because it, it doesn't add anything to, I mean, you know, it doesn't, there's no detail here. It's one word. And this one star review is ruining my book sales, basically. Yep. And of course, they ignored my email. And I was like, whatever. So yep. I ran a five day free promo. I was like, please read this and go give me some good reviews, people on Facebook, you know. And I think it's up to a three-star now. Nice. Um, other bad reviews, I just, I don't check my reviews often. It's just like if I happen to be like in my bookshelf, I'll click, you know, this, to view my book in the U.S. to see if I have any new reviews or whatever. And I just don't really care because I write my books basically for me. And so either you can pick it up or you can lay it down. I, they don't really bother me. Yeah, that's that's a great mindset to kind of embrace. And this is a good lesson I think that you shared with with some people is these bad reviews are gonna come and and I used to spend my time when I would see a one star, a two star review that was either uh you'll love, I know you can probably relate to this one. Anybody watching this as well are gonna relate to this one. When you get a review, like a one or two star, and it's not even your fault. Amazon, I didn't receive my book, or this is the wrong book, and then I'm getting hammered for this. And here's the funny thing is I would reach out to Amazon and point out, hey, look, this is kind of your issue and not mine. Can you please remove this? They would say everybody was entitled to their opinion type, like email. I'm like, oh, are you kidding me? They're bashing me because of you. So uh, I just wanna let everybody know out there, if that happens, um, don't be afraid to push back, but remember this, the best course of action is don't get hung up on those reviews because if you do, you're wasting your time. I think Ava can probably agree with me. The yeah. thing that moves the needle is more content, marketing, and promotion. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. If it does, bad time to move on to the next one. 
Yeah, yeah, that that is it, you know, and you know, try to and here's the thing is I try to study and figure out where I went wrong. The ones, the one-star reviews that say boring or this sucks or something like that, unfortunately, there's not much you're gonna be able to learn from that. It's just a matter of taste. Not everybody think thinks that Eddie Murphy is the funniest comedian. I think the guy's hilarious, but some people think that he's raunchy, you know, distasteful and not funny at all. So it's, it's all a matter of taste. And sometimes one-star reviews, you're just going to kind of chalk it up to, it's not my audience. But if there's something, for instance, I got a two-star review on my stretch workout plan. Person said the formatting was out of place. I felt like the glossary of exercises should have been moved forward as opposed to this. And I thought, huh, he brings up a great valid point. Makes me think, how can I tweak my product? so that I can still be able to provide him a great reading experience. Right. Before we go any further, this is where I really wanted to touch into. The relationship that Ava and I have is, she actually works for me as a virtual assistant. Ava, could you tell us what is a virtual assistant? How do they function within the self-publishing industry? Sure, a virtual assistant is uh, basically an assistant um, in the virtual space and online space that, that does things that a normal assistant would do, um, barring anything that you could do in person. Like, obviously, I can't make you a cup of coffee or take your, your suit to the cleaners. I've been wondering when you're going to get to my damn suits. <laughs> That's why I haven't been wearing any, any, any of the ties lately here, folks. It's Ava's fault. <laughs> she, did, she never expressed to me that she couldn't do those things. <laughs> <laughs> it was a bit, a bit of a drive. <laughs> <laughs> so so uh, in the self-publishing space, basically, um, a virtual assistant can pretty much handle as much as you're willing to give them from, um, from even writing all the way up to the, to the editing and publishing process, I would imagine. Yeah. Now, outside of that, um, like the things that I do for you, like the newsletter, mm -hmm. some website work, that kind of stuff. Like, hey, can you put my SoundCloud player up on my website? Those kind of tasks, which I love that stuff because I'm, I'm a little ADD in the brain. So yeah. sitting down and just concentrating, focusing on one thing for hours on end just makes me want to kill myself, right? <laughs> so something that, <laughs> that changes all the time is just right up my alley. I love to get in there and oh i need to fix this and i need to format this and i need to find a photo for this and so just the ever-changing part of it but not necessarily it's not like a situation where you have to multitask that much so i can focus on one thing for a short period of time boom move to the next thing you really feel like you're getting stuff done and that's what really draws me to it i think but i mean i've seen people hiring virtual assistants to do everything like what I've described that I do for you to, to, you know, taking their phone calls, making their appointments, managing their calendars, um, you know, handling their emails, handling their chat system. So, you know, it's really just pretty much anything that you can do with a computer and an internet connection. If I were a newbie self-publisher, what is some advice that you would give to a person to finding the right virtual assistant, price points, what they can expect, and what they should do to optimize using a virtual assistant? Uh, well, as far as finding one, um, 
I would say steer clear. I mean, your easiest route is going to be some, you know, website like Upwork, which you and I have discussed that neither one of us really like. No. Um, but it is a way to connect, you know, connect the dots there. But I would suggest actually, um, as a new self-publisher, getting involved in some Facebook groups or some forums or something like that where you're networking with other authors. And then you're also going to find people in that mix that are there to provide services as well, or both. So I would suggest, and you know, network with those other authors and ask, you know, who they use, what they use, how they find people, and that kind of thing is a better route. It's better for the service provider, and it's going to be better for you in the long run because. I mean, I know that I have one client that I found through Upwork who swiftly we moved outside of that platform, which is a big no for them. But anyway, this was back in 2014. Okay. And she said, you know, because they take 20% right off the top of everything you make. She said, I'd rather you get that money than me be paying, you know, all this money and you're only getting 80% of what I'm paying out. She was like, I'd rather you get it all. So. I agree with whoever that said that. That, that really yeah. sucks sometimes. Uh, you know, I discover this person, but it really sucks that you have some middleman that's just kind of like, well, since I made the connection, I get 20%. Right, <laughs> right. And they're not doing anything to offer, uh, make the platform better, really, for either party. Yep. You know, but it seems to me, though, they're, let's go ahead. Let's, let's, let's identify the elephant in the room there are safeguards put in place for those type of platforms. Yes. So not everybody, it, not all virtual assistants are created like Ava that are honest, upstanding, hardworking, go above and beyond the call of duty. Uh, there are gonna be some people that are not as noteworthy, that are in it to make that fast buck. And I think that's where platforms like yes. the Upworks, like the uh, gurus, like the Conkers, those, serve as a means of holding your money in escrow and protecting that in the event of a relationship going south. So when does a person decide to take their work from those type of platforms to a direct relationship such as what you and I have? When, when is a good time? Um, goodness, I don't know. If, if I could have, you know, just skipped over that whole situation to begin with, I probably you know, would have done it. And, you know, if, um, you know, I needed to go out tomorrow and find new clients or whatever, you know, it's like I said, it'd probably be a post in one of my groups that I'm in or whatever to see, Hey, mm -hmm. does anybody need blah? Um, as far as a good time, I would say, um, you know, get in there, do it, work with some people, find out what works for you, find out what's working for you, working with them. And once you have a good handle on that and something that you can show in a portfolio or, you know, whatever it is that you're trying to build, um, start looking elsewhere. Stay there. I'm still on Upwork. Um, and I have a few people that contact me through there. Hey, can you do this and whatever? Yeah. Um, stay there but start reaching out other places just as soon as you feel like you know you have something worthy to show but you know upwork's a great place to build up your experience 
Yeah. They do have, they have the entry level, the intermediate, and then the people that are willing to pay the experts or whatever. And you can really look at those entry level positions and really build up your skill set and that kind of thing. So is, is something like an Upwork, like a freelance platform, is that a good place to, if you're starting in self-publishing and you find you're lacking resources, financial resources, is that a good platform for a person to kind of consider in maybe raising the funds? Yes, because, you know, and I've written posts about, you know, how to, how to replace your day job in three easy steps. And, and the main, the main way to do that was through Upwork. It, once you you say I need this much to live and this is how much I make a month or whatever you have your number to replace you go find the jobs uh, and build those up to replace that income and then boom you can say goodbye to that yeah I know my so, experience was I did Fiverr for for a minute or two for a cup of coffee and it, it always shocks people I actually made a significant amount of money you ready for this? You're going to laugh at this, Ava. I know I haven't shared this with you. I made a significant amount of money resizing people's pictures or their ebook covers to ACX standards. Yeah. And you know how simple that is. You literally yeah. just open up the properties, change it, save it, send it back. So I would do two covers and I would easily make about four bucks right there from each one right. of those gigs. And, and the funny thing is, I, the money I would take from that, I would literally invest it into getting an ebook cover done. And uh, it really proved really nice. So, you know, this whole business, you know, bootstrapping is sometimes essential. I know I was talking to a gentleman more recently and, you know, we were kind of chopping it up about ebook covers and covers in general. And, and he's asking me, how much should I save? And I'm like, look, don't cheap out on this. And I'm going to say for the record right now, Fiverr's not always the best option. Okay. Sometimes it might be out of desperation. You're going to have to choose that. But if I were to recommend anything to you, try to invest in good graphic designers out there because you're going to get what you paid for. So if you've got a good quality cover done by say Archangel Inc, 99 designs, many of the other professional designers, sure. It's going to cost two to 300 bucks, sometimes more. Some people get sticker shock, but remember this, it's a long-term investment. It's not like you're going to be investing in something that hopefully is complete poop. Uh, right. <laughs> you know, you haven't done too much time. All right. So um, let's talk about the stigma about virtual assistants. Why, what is the big hangup? Why are people so afraid of virtual assistants and don't be afraid to say why? There's a stigma? Yeah. <laughs> what? Um, <laughs> this right. is shocking. I think, you know, people as a general rule are a little bit control freaky about their stuff. Yeah. Um, of course, I could have this person do A, B, and C, but they're not going to do it like I do it. They're not, they're not going to do it the way I want it done and it's going to cost me a lot of money or, you know, I'm going to be paying them to write a blog post and they're going to be over there smoking a cigarette and having a Budweiser and, you know, whatever, you know, how do you know that they're doing what you're paying them to do? And yeah. so I think that has a lot to do with it. There's, there's a, a disconnect of control there that I think people have a hard time embracing. Yeah. And it really came down to, I didn't mind for me getting a virtual assistant. It, it was just, it was, I was having a, a conversation with our, our pal, our mutually, exclu exclu our, our mutual friend here, 
mutually exclusive. Why, why was I going for that word? Uh, Mary Thibodeau. And uh, she just said, hey, Ava's, you know, always looking for good work and she's great at it. So thank you, Mary T. It's been really nice. I knew that there were some things that I'm like, okay, if somebody's experienced at this, they can do this. And so that's why I reached out to you, gave you a few tasks. And one of the things I noticed was you were doing it four times as fast as what I was doing it. I'm kind of going, why didn't I get a hold of you two years ago? This makes no <laughs> sense. And, and see, here's the thing is, I've used virtual assistants before, but, big but on this one, I was hiring out from like the Philippines and overseas because they were cheaper. So um, speak to that, share with me what, what's gonna be good when I say like, I could pay someone $3 per hour versus say 30, 40, $50 per hour. And look there, you know, I have absolutely no disrespect for the folks overseas. If I was over there, I would be exploiting the heck out of some, you know, some working for dollars and living like a queen for, you know, 20 bucks a month or whatever it is they do over there. I know it's, you know, and I've seen uh, videos from a lot of entrepreneurs from Thailand and stuff like that. Like they actually go over there and live because it's like apparently paradise and so cheap. Um, the, I, I think the big problem with um, overseas virtual assistants or, vir you know, overseas workers altogether is the language barrier, even if they're fluent. Even if they're fluent or they can speak well enough that you can make heads or tails what they're saying or type or whatever it is they're doing, they're still not native. There's, there's a huge difference between fluent and native speaker. And that's why when you hire someone um, overseas for $3 an hour and they start typing some stuff and you're like, what the heck? It's that whole, it's the difference between the fluency and, and the, the native speaker, native speaker is going to understand or native writer, whatever, it's going to understand, you know, the cliches, the inside jokes, the popular culture and things like that that come with being a native rather than just studying some language out of a book. So I think the, the big problem there is, is with, you know, not that they can't do the work or they're bad at it or anything like that. It's just, it's that barrier. Yeah. And we in the West cannot live on $3 an hour. Yeah. So there's a big, you know, there's a big gap there. So a lot, I think a lot of people are tempted to, to go that route, but I think what happens is they, they go that route, they try it out and they see that it, it doesn't work as well as they have. Yeah, it was it was a real uh, headache for me when I was hiring out because I was constantly having to retrain and something I'd learned uh, early on in the self-publishing process was create a video of what you want them to do and send it to them. Well, I was constantly having to send the same video sequence because one person wouldn't work out. You know, I'm going from three to five dollars per hour type people. And once again, there is that disconnect where I'm requesting things. And most times they would either say they knew what, what I was talking about or, you know, they would show that they knew it. And see, the people that would say, this is like, you can clearly tell, they didn't know what the heck was going on. And it, it was just crazy. So, you know, I, if I were to ever do it again, I would just, I know that right now, I think the big thing was 
the video chat. When you and I connected, I was able to at least build a rapport with you. And we've actually had a, quite a few other video chats since then that we're able to communicate with each other. And that way I'm able to utilize you to your, you know, I'm playing to your strengths, first of all. Um, I don't know if you noticed that because I was just like asking you different things. And sometimes it's like, you're like, eh, that's not really, I'm like, nope, done. You don't even need to do it. Uh, I'm like, I would rather get you to work on SEO on my website. I'd rather get you to really nail down my email list and get the newsletter kind of put together. I'd rather get you to work on landing pages. I'd rather get you to work on my social media feeds and, and things like that because you are the lady, the woman on this. And you know what? Screw it. You're the man too. That's it. I'm just going to say that. <laughs> yeah. You're the man. <laughs> so um, that's, that was a huge thing. And sometimes I had to, and this is me kind of giving a tip to everybody here. If you do hire a virtual assistant, make sure you get on the video chat. Build a relationship with this person. It doesn't have to be solely just about sending emails back and forth and hopefully hashing something out. You can build a real connection. I think that's where you're really going to get some of the strong suits. Because now, Ava, at this point, I value your opinion. And I say to you, where do you see areas of opportunity? So let's talk about the most recent area of opportunity that, uh, that you kind of shot out to me. And it was like, boom. I'm like, what? Fire away. <laughs> Uh, let's see. I believe we're talking about SoundCloud or your yep. podcast, correct? Um, yeah. Well, after watching your videos, I'm a happy subscriber. I'm learning lots of things. I'm liking. Another day, I, I was, I was, I always watch YouTube when I go to bed, you know, as I'm falling asleep or whatever. I'm like watching the video and it was like four dislikes. I'm like, what is wrong with these people? <laughs> so it was like three likes, four dislikes. So I hit the like button. I was like, take that. But yeah, yeah um, Hi, haters. I, I just right. want to say, hey, you guys, you hit those thumbs down because guess what? It's engagement and I love it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I think uh, it was from watching your videos, especially since I've been working with your self publishing side a little bit more and noticing that it's not like you have a lot of on screen prompts or, or tutorials or anything that you're really in depth yeah. trying to show somebody. And I was like, this would be great on a podcast for people that can't necessarily sit there and watch a video or don't have time or whatever, you know, maybe they're trying to get a self publishing, you know, hustle going on the side or whatever. So it'd be great for those people on, you know, on the public transit and whatever, they could just sit there and boom, boom, listen to these. They're not long. They're perfect length. You could, you know, binge listen or what, you know, whatever your style or just catch a short snippet or whatever. I'm like, this would be this perfect opportunity to um to you know get over into the podcasting because you know there is a whole other set of websites to be on and backlinks to build and audience to have in addition to what you're already doing yeah so so much agreed on this and i can't uh, thank you enough uh, I did take SoundCloud and I actually did the RSS feed over to iTunes, to Stitcher, and to Google Play. Yeah. And now, um, over the last you know couple of weeks that we've been doing this, it uh, we're in the hundreds of listens, which is fantastic. I'm reaching an audience that wouldn't otherwise go to YouTube because not everybody has YouTube read. Not everybody can listen to the audio portion of YouTube. Right. And be frank with you, I'm not going to spend ten dollars a month on YouTube read. Sorry, YouTube. Um, you know, but you know, for those of you that want to just listen to these type of things. So for instance, this interview will eventually be available over on SoundCloud that will feed out into those different areas. And once again, it kind of gives a little bit of that backlink juice. And I'm sure eventually I'll talk a little bit about backlinks and how it's related to self-publishing and building a brand. 
All right, so we're getting towards the half hour mark, maybe just a little bit over. So I want to find out uh, if somebody wants to get a hold of you, where can they get a hold of you at? And give me all the scoop on where we can find you. I think probably the best way to do that is my website. Uh, it's heyoava.com, which is like, hey, yo, Ava. So it's H-E-Y-Y-O-A-V-A, V as in Victor. And we call me Ava up in here. Uh, but that's probably the best way I have contact form there. Send me a direct email and I'll reply right there. And then you'll have my real email address, um, which is the same at heyoava at gmail. So uh, either one of those places. Um, other than that, I'm available all kinds of places once you get to know me. Um, I believe I have links to all my Facebook and Twitter and all that stuff over there as well. Pretty much everything is there. So yeah, that's the best place to start. Wonderful. Fantastic. Well, everybody's got enough information that can kind of keep them going. I really do appreciate you taking some time and energy to share a little bit of the 411 here on self-publishing. In the meantime and in between times, thank you very much. Good night. Big thank you to Ava Fails for taking her time with me. Ava currently has a few open time slots if you wish to work with her. So if you're interested, please contact her at heyyoava.com. That's it for today. Hey, if you enjoyed today's interview, then make sure you tune in next Friday when I talk to a newbie self-publisher who had a smash hit in his first week. Till later, this has been Self-Publishing with Dale, and I'll see you guys soon.